0: Welcome back to the Esports Moment. I'm Seamus Byrne. I've covered technology and games for almost 20 years as a journalist and first covered esports 11 years ago and I've loved watching this space grow and evolve ever since. This show is about looking behind the scenes at what's going on in the industry, both at how we got to where we are and where the industry is heading next. This week, I'm sharing a conversation I had late in 2018 with two of the brains behind Australia's esports organization, Order, Jake Spawn Tiberi and Adrian Giles. Jake is general manager of Order, coming from a background as a player, but most prominently as a caster with League of Legends. He still helps cover the Oceanic Pro League and has been part of the international casting crew around some of League's biggest global events. Adrian is the chairman of order and comes from a tech startup and investment background. He worked in the early online era in the 1990s and successfully built a massive dot com hitwise that he ran for a decade, surviving that first big crash and eventually selling for 250 million U.S. dollars back in 2007. Order launched back at the start of 2018 and now has teams across six esports, games and categories, and Order's teams have competed on the international stage across various of the sports it runs, while also taking out both trophies in the Gfinity Elite Series two seasons from last year. One of the big launch concepts behind Order was also to run a crowdfunding campaign, partly to raise funds, partly to give some ownership to its fans. The campaign was also one of the first to operate under formal ASIC corporate crowdfunding rules, and it generated over $360,000. As I said at the beginning, this conversation is from late 2018, so keep that in mind as some comments make references to that 2018 time reference. Jake and Adrian are a really interesting pair of guys to hear from across Jake's coalface sense of what esports is today and what fans are looking for, and Adrian's business acumen helping to build a smart and sustainable business driving the organization. Without further ado, let's dive into the interview. Really simple first question for, for both of you, maybe starting with, with Jake. It would be like, why do you love eSports? Wow. Okay.
2: So, I started playing video games, I think, when I was about, you know, three or four years old. And I got involved with in eSports when I was finishing high school, uh, getting into university, and I was able to maintain a lot of my friendship groups through video games and, I guess, through competitive gaming. And then it kind of helped that I was also quite good, at video games when I was playing them, you know, World of Warcraft, League of Legends were kind of my two big games. So from that, uh, I felt like I could potentially add something to a career here. So, uh, I gave it a crack and, you know, five years later, still going strong. So I guess that's kind of my journey into esports.
0: And Adrian, yeah, you know, I, we're, I guess, yeah, you know, we're of a similar generation where, uh, we, this was never an option straight out of high school. So you're know, curious, uh, what, what your sort of, sense of how you came to it and, and why you you love being a part of it
1: yeah sure hey Shane it's great to be involved in your podcast and yeah similar generations so it has it wasn't available to us coming out of uh, high school but you know I started my career um, in the hospitality industry while I was at uni and managed to get uh, my first role outside of hospitality was working for Australia's largest games developer back in the uh, early 90s, which was a company called Beam Software, um, which had a publishing arm called Melbourne House and eventually got owned by Atari. And I started their internet division in 1995 and learned about games development, learned about games marketing and promotion, um, got really a baptism of fire in the whole you know, games development and publishing industry, um, got to work with all the developers and Really, you know, look at every aspect of of games development and and marketing promotion, and and really just sort of fell in love with the games industry. I'd always been interested in gaming, and and it was a an gamer when I was younger, and still kept gaming even th- when I left the industry. Um, and then the opportunity, after starting a few other businesses in the technology arena um, over the last sort of twenty years, the opportunity to get back involved uh, in the games industry through Order came about. Um, met with Jake and Jared, and you know really liked what they were trying to do with order and thought that I could help and get involved
0: um, jake i 'm really curious about you know the the kind of period of time now that you 've been involved with this space uh, what the last kind of six years or something like that that uh, obviously it 's evolved quite quickly, but you know how do you how do you you feel having sort of been working at uh, at riot games and working with League of Legends? Uh, How do you feel like the esports industry has evolved since then?
2: Yeah, so it's pretty interesting because in Australia, when I first got involved, like it was a lot of Cyber Gamer tournaments. It was a lot of me playing as well as part of teams or, you know, going and helping out with tournaments on the weekend. So that was kind of my, you know, start into esports. And I think that I wasn't very glamorous in 2012, 2013. Uh, it was certainly, you know, much more everyone comes together to try and put on an event and, you know, just, just has a good time of it. It was a lot of, you know, on the weekends, taking computers to other people's houses and practicing together and that kind of thing. So I think at the start, it was not really something I would have called esports. Like it was just something I kind of did with my friends for a social life. Uh, I guess, you know, found out that there was this thing called esports out there. 2013, riot games obviously came to PAX, uh, for the first time and, uh, did the first ever kind of OPL final, uh, which was a huge eye-opening event for me. I was like, I can't believe that domestically this thing uh, can be executed to this standard and there will be this amount of people here watching. So I guess I put everything on the line in 2014. Uh, I started working with Riot for autumn, winter and summer and eventually went over to the North America to also commentate their promotion relegation season as well and subsequently joined Riot Games full-time in 2015. So I guess from my end, I got to see all the stages of esports. Uh, I got to see it, what it looked like on a global stage and got excited about it. I got to see what it was looking like domestically and was also fortunate enough to be able to work within it full-time for a couple of years. But I guess there's been a lot of different stages of esports over that time, and now... It is probably at its most mature. Uh, you know, we've got multiple leagues like, you know, right games, OPL, uh, Gfinity with Counter Strike and Rocket League and Street Fighter and, you know, ASL's leagues running at the moment where within Australia and New Zealand, at least, uh, it does seem that the ecosystem has leveled up to a point where it is becoming, you know, more sustainable and more viable for people to get involved in it and to be able to do this as a full time gig.
0: And yeah, you know, Adrian, you obviously you worked in, you know, in, in the web development and, and internet sort of tools and things, that's kind of how you had your big success. But you know, wh- where was that moment when you came back around and went, "Wait a minute!" Like this, this esports space really has serious potential. You know, I've seen as well that you, uh, you know, you are looking at sort of investments in even trying to develop those sort of physical spaces out there where people can come together to to watch and things like that. So, yeah, what was it that that made you go, "Yeah, you know what this this is the right time"?
1: So. Partly it's, it's, um, a philosophy I had, which, which is that always try to work in an area or an industry where you sort of love what you do. And I've always really enjoyed the gaming, uh, area. And so, and just games and playing games and that whole scene. And so, you know, th- that's the first thing. It's, it, you know, the data could be horrible. Um, the industry opportunity could be horrible, but if you love it, um, you know, that's, that's a, a big tick, but. You know, the data isn't horrible and I'm, I'm, you know, by my history, a bit of a data guy, um, with the different businesses that I've had. And so, you know, just looking and watching how that, how the industry is growing and the audiences are growing, um, how globally there's no real one dominant geography country. I mean, the, the, you know, the Koreans probably would say, um, they're up there as a, as a dominant sort of esport country. Um, but really there's no, it's not like some sports where it's, you know, completely dominated in the US or completely dominated in Europe. Um, you know, esports is a global phenomena and the audiences globally are growing at a rapid rate. The, um, the revenue opportunity for esport organizations and the industry generally is continuing to grow. And it looked it, in, in a funny way. It kind of reminded me of the, um, you know, when looking at the industry over the last two years, it reminded me a little bit of the, you know, you remember Seamus, the internet, sort of 1997, 98. Um, the internet industry was very embryonic. Uh, it was, everyone was sort of learning and finding their feet, but really in, enamored by the opportunity in front of us all. And it sort of felt a little bit like that to me. Um, when I looked at it, um, and I thought, you know, th- this is the opportunity here is to get in on the ground floor and really, um, help. Uh, and watch the industry uh, grow um, to, to to the potential that the data suggests it can, and that was pretty exciting.
0: And yeah, is there any particular thing about uh, you know this this time coming back in, whether it's with order or, or other sort of elements of of thinking about esports, Adrian, that um, that you're kind of proud of so far of of the the work that uh, that you've done in this space? I think. Um-
1: I'm quite proud of what we've managed to do with Order over the last uh, 12 months. I mean, it's a it's still a young company. Um, you know, it's, it started life just as a League of Legends team um, and now we're almost at 50 players, um, you know, nine teams over eight games. It's a lot of, uh, it's, it's and it's a credit to Jake and Nathan and the team that they've been able to pull together quite an amazing roster, um, a roster that, um you know continues to perform really well um and uh you know it's 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 been an amazing journey of rapid growth which you don't really see a lot in other organizations i mean the kind of growth that orders had in in scaling up in a professional way is pretty admirable um and I'm certainly proud of that
0: and Jake i'm curious if you know was there any moment during uh you know, during recent times where you have being able to, I guess, stand back and go, oh, yeah, wow, like teenage me really would be incredibly pleased with with where I've arrived at right now.
2: Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I, I was lucky enough that I've just had back-to-back, like this month, pretty successful moments. Uh, first moment, obviously, is, you know, being able to go to LA and cast a world championship for League of Legends, you know. Uh, not only am I a general manager, I am a commentator, and being able to do that on an individual level kind of, you know, spoke to the hard work I'd put in. I guess I took a year off from international events last year to have uh, a baby boy, so Jasper was at home and I had to spend three weeks away from my family. But, you know, getting over to America and casting, that was, was certainly a highlight in my career and it was a great tournament to watch kind of the collapse of the Korean dynasty within League of Legends firsthand and be able to present that was, you know, quite special. And, you know, that's on an individual level. And before uh, I'd gone over to North America, we had rejigged a lot of our Counter-Strike team. We uh, released, uh, well, traded uh, Liaz to the Renegades and gave a player an international uh, berth, I guess, is the best way you can put it. Liaz obviously was one of our star players. And we also had uh, traded Sicko to Tainted Minds for Inns. and. They were two decisions that a lot of people thought might ultimately break the Counter-Strike lineup. A lot of analysts were very skeptical. Uh, we bought in a 16-year-old kid. I'll use the word Charlie or Zef uh, to replace, you know, probably the best Counter-Strike player in Australia and to be able to go into the Odense qualifiers that have just passed and uh, see the team, you know, win that and win it comfortably, win it by a map. Uh, be able to go through the upper brackets and be able to, you know, remain the undefeated team. And then uh, to see the hard work that people like Imagine, who's obviously a veteran of the team and Alma Putty, who's our coach and Nate, who's our operations manager and our counter-strike manager had put into that lineup to, you know, take us from one of the most uh stable organizations in terms of we had not made a change to that team for 12 months to, you know, making two changes for the health of the team and for uh, the betterment of players and, to see that we still are able to maintain our position as the number one Counter-Strike team in Australia uh, really was a really great moment for us because it showed that, you know, staying true to the plan, staying true to what our values are as order and making sure that we bring people along for that ride uh, is going to have the long-term success that we are looking for.
0: I mean, that's a really important kind of philosophical point there to touch on, I guess, is how making that kind of a choice to 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 help players evolve within their career, not just try to control. You know, we have to keep these people together. But that uh, I I can only imagine that that will sort of encourage other people if they're joining order to know that order is trying to to help them to become you know to reach their full potential. Is is that part of that thinking and and I guess also having faith in your own scouting uh, capabilities.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's kind of twofold. Uh, they are contractor players. You know, there is a business at the end of the day and Renegades came to the table in that regard and were very good to deal with. So, you know, it does take two to tango. So I'm not going to pretend to sit here and take full credit for it. They have a great team over there and a very good Australian roster playing internationally. So that part of it uh, was made easy by another team. But certainly from our end, uh, we want to be globally competitive and we want to breed hungry players. And I think that, you know, that means that players are going to have to be able to be given opportunities to grow, whether that's within order or whether that's within, uh, you know, another team. And we are at the moment, you know, priding ourselves on being able to spot uh, that next kid that is up and coming and being able to bring them into what is a very successful ecosystem right now and continue that momentum. So, uh, yeah, it's certainly something that Jared, uh, who works in traditional high performance, uh, has really drilled into us from the start that we, we need to be a hungry team, we need to be very aligned and we need to have clear progression for these, uh you know, ultimately kids. A lot of them are very young, you know, these young men and young women. So I think that, yeah, it's certainly something that we have put a lot of effort into getting our coaching staff right, getting our captains right and getting kind of our infrastructure right and then hopefully breeding those, uh you know, next superstars within the order ecosystem.
0: Adrian, you're, you you pointed out you're, you're a data guy. I'm sort of curious on your perspective on, on this question, which is how do you feel esports, uh, compares to the wider games industry? You know, is, is it something that is kind of following the same trajectory or like, is there something different about it?
1: Well, I think the drive from, uh, the the drive from the audience to, you know, want to watch esports both via the digital channels, but also via um, in live environments. I mean, that's certainly, um, I think most people in the games industry would say that that eSports is certainly um, broadening um, and creating a more excited audience for games. Um, The way that games are now being shaped to make them more relevant for the viewing audience um, is happening all the time. Um, and I think um, that you know, as you know, the, the Melbourne Esports Open is was one example of you know a an idea that you know came out of that, that sort of sports precinct in Melbourne and the and the state government and and um, you know it was supported by um, you know ESL putting all this together. It um it, it, it came together pretty quickly and the marketing behind it wasn't exactly. Um, huge you know that you didn't see a hell of a lot of marketing for it but I think it got close to 15,000 people there over those three days just from the you know the, the, the greater Melbourne area I mean that was pretty extraordinary to be able to pull something like that together so quickly um, with fairly limited marketing um, and and activate that space in the way that drew those kind of crowds so um, I think as you know with at the moment they're there's forecast to be around you know, 1.8 million esport fanatics in Australia. But there's also around 4.6 million uh, people who identify as gaming fanatics. And I think what esports will do is will cr- provide that kind of crossover fuel for the gaming fanatics who are much larger. And, and obviously the, the esport fanatics would be a subset of those, but the four point six million gaming fanatics, which is a, which is an extraordinary number. Um, you know, as more and more people realize what's available to them from an entertainment point of view within esports streaming and live, uh, I think it's going to continue to grow and continue to draw from the general gaming public, um, to realize what's, what's, what's available to them in the, in the esports world. And that's pretty entertaining stuff.
0: There's a good point there. I um I remember seeing a stat. I think it was earlier this year that showed how the the growth of both casual esports viewers and enthusiast esports viewers was changing. And one of the things that actually showed in an interesting way was that uh, that casual fans do seem to convert to enthusiast fans quite quickly. So you, that there really does seem to be uh you know a really sort of positive. Process there from people just deciding to check it out a bit and just tune in a little bit now and then, to then suddenly going, oh, I'm, actually, I'm now watching it all the time. Uh, yeah. So yeah, definitely some really cool trends there. And I
1: think people identify with the, you know, a lot of people say that they're watching because it it helps them to play better themselves. So if you are a casual sort of amateur gamer, um, you know, the, the the reason that people love one of the big reasons that that people are are tuning into. To streams on all different games is just really to understand, you know, how are these people playing so well. I know, I know that's why my son does it. That's why I do it. I watch people stream and I'm like, God, oh, how did he do that? You know, and you sort of then you see it again and again. You're like, okay. And that sort of just educates you and makes you want to get better at it. And I think self improvement is a natural human, you know, desire that we all have. And, and I think anytime you're watching something that can help drive that. Um, self improvement, um, momentum within your own, within your own mind is, is a pretty compelling draw card for people to, to want to, you know, watch more. And just to jump in on the back of that as well, uh,
2: there's also a really good social aspect to video game viewing that I think goes understated because of the introduction of things like Twitch chat and YouTube chat and especially in smaller communities, the ability to actually have meaningful conversations at the same time as enjoying, you know, an entertainment product uh, on bigger communities to be able to share like even in world championships to be able to share you know those really memorable moments as you know the chat goes crazy and to have that feeling that you were there it's akin to sitting in a stadium and hearing the roar to be honest uh is kind of how i explain it to people but it is digital and i think that that is something that makes it very compelling as opposed to consuming you know mainstream traditional sport at home because it doesn't have that same feeling of community of social uh of the social aspect and then the other thing is, is that esports athletes are more accessible than, you know, traditional athletes. Uh, they're not at the stage of their career yet where they have to, you know, walk around with security or measure themselves or you, you bump on them in the street around something like MEO. They'll stop. They'll take pictures. They'll have good chats. Uh, they don't have other, like at the same level of other commitments that they're going towards. Uh, you know, if you tweet at them, especially in Australia and New Zealand, majority of the time they will read it, acknowledge it maybe even tweet back at you. So as a young kid or as a fan trying to get involved in, you know, idolizing some of these guys that are world-class, I think that uh, esports is in this really unique stage right now where it is big enough that it is meaningful, but it is also hasn't grown over the top to where these guys are unreachable, unaccessible, and, you know, unavailable ultimately. So I think that
1: it's in a really special place right now, and I think that that's why it resonates with a lot of the uh, viewers. Yeah, absolutely. And even, even when you're, you know, jumping in a game and you see the handles of certain streamers, you know, you could be playing against these guys all the time in different games. I mean, you know, my son just the other day come run, came running down the stairs saying, Dad, Dad, I've just, I've just been on, you know, I can't remember the name of this famous streamer and we were playing together in duos on Fortnite and wow, you know, wow, I'm going to be on his stream, you know, like how, how can that happen for a, a kid in his bedroom to be able to, you know, play with, people that they idolise um, just by chance, that they happen to get paired together. You know, it's it, it's pretty amazing stuff.
0: Jake, Adrian also touched on, yeah, the success of the Melbourne Esports Open there. I'm you're curious, you, you are a Melbourne person. Uh, you've even let the Melbourne name be attached to order for a Gfinity Elite Series. Uh, so curious on how you feel like uh, Melbourne seems to seems to be doing a better job than a lot of other cities when it comes to seeing the opportunity uh, of of embracing esports as one of its, you know, cultural events.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, I talk about Melbourne all the time. Uh, obviously, born here, raised here, uh, you know, high school sweetheart here, my whole family's here. So, uh, I love the city. Uh, I've lived here for all but three years of my life where I had to go to Sydney and ultimately was miserable there, so came back to Melbourne. So, uh <laughs> I think that Melbourne's done a fantastic job of identifying the kind of subculture and uh, the feel of what esports looks like within Australia and then being able to translate that to events. Uh, Other places do have gaming events, but you know, PAX was kind of the biggest and the best uh, around general video games and they attached esports to it very early on and did an absolutely amazing job. Then you have things like the Melbourne Esports Open that have really been able to capture that essence and you know, they had. A lot of great community engagement there. They had the Fortnite stage where you could get up and you could play. You could be commentated. You know, they had the uh, fighting ring for the fighting game community, which, you know, often gets overlooked and they allowed that to be streamed and commentated. I think they just ticked a lot of the basic boxes that made them, you know, resonate very well with the existing esports community. I still think that there are things that we can do right now that will start to grow uh, the esports community and, you know, start to get more people involved that are maybe on the fridge, you know, gamers but not esports people, uh, as Adrian alluded to. But I think that uh, Melbourne has always been really progressive, like whether it's with, you know, food and wine, whether it's with, you know, horse racing, whether it's with uh, music. And I think that esports has just become another subculture that, you know, people are passionate about here and will continue to see success because, I mean, that's kind of what, melbourne is right it's just a melting pot of all these
1: subcultures and all the crossovers and being able to bring them all together and it's a, and it's a very good city to be able to do that i think just adding one thing to that i think it's also a lot of support from the state government i mean Mel- Melbourneians consider themselves to be the sports state um and so as the growth of esports as a as a real sport um, is getting greater recognition. I think the government's really leaning in and saying, you know, they've they've gone on record to say they really want to make Melbourne, you know, the, the the Southeast Asian sort of base for esports, and that's that's um that's a big call. But they're starting to get behind things like the Melbourne Esports Open and other other things, which I think will really just help grow grow the industry. And it's important for a state to just have that kind of support.
2: And then I guess just the last thing to jump in from like an even more nitty gritty level is that last year you kind of had eight teams in gaming houses in the OPL and then a scattering of players around the rest of Australia. And I think that the other thing that has happened this year is owners, you know, like Jared and Adrian have come on board. Um, Mammoth did it as well. The Bombers did it. So, you know, that there, there has been a group that have also brought teams down to Melbourne. And it's really important that we have, you know, teams that are based out of the best city in the world because otherwise there's nothing for people to support. So I do think that the ownership group has also, you know, stepped up and recognized that. And, you know, Greyhounds have done it in Counter-Strike as well so there's lots of different organizations that have made the call to bring teams down to melbourne and give you know melbourneites people to be able to follow locally as well which is uh, also a big step in my eyes
0: now i know that a big part of creating order was about trying to build a more sort of mature esports organization i'm curious you know and i guess jake you've you've traveled with uh, with watching esports you've sort of seen the worldwide side of things yeah how far behind are we compared to the rest of the world and how quickly are we catching up
2: so i always used to say that we're probably 4 years behind 3 to 4 years behind uh and what I meant from that is, you know, there's obviously uh, infrastructural, basic infrastructural things. And then uh, you could use landmarks like gaming houses. TSM started their gaming house, I think, in 2012. I think the first real successful gaming house was the Legacy Gaming House or the Chiefs Gaming House in 2016. So, you know, there, there's pretty important landmarks that you can track out and you can say, okay, at this time was when all the gaming houses began uh, in America. And this is where they began in Australia. And this is the gap. Um, what i will say is in that time you know we now have every single one of our team in gaming houses we have now all of our teams full-time teams in the opl uh, you have like three or four teams across other games that are now full-time teams as well so i think that the the swell has really began and, you know, people are good at spotting ground swells. And I think that's why the interest has been there. And I think that we are starting to close that gap. I think that when you go overseas and you look at places like China, like South Korea, uh, and, you know, North America and Europe are catching up as well. You see that this is now an established uh, ecosystem and that it's probably movable in a lot of those places. It's there to stay. And whether it's going to be the same games that we see today, like I don't really see it budging. In Australia, we kind of see, you know, that amateur pro level starting to separate itself now. Uh, There is a gap forming between, you know, people that do this full time and people that have done it part time in the past. And I think that that is a good step. And I think that we are probably still, you know, two and a half years two three years away uh, from being one of those major competitors but I think that there has been a lot of you know good signs the fact that you know teams go overseas and are now taking games the fact that when I am Sydney came here and we were one round away from beating cloud nine a team that had won the major earlier that year the fact that you know teams like greyhounds were beating other teams the fact that you know direwolves go overseas and they have a very good showing at worlds this year despite a competitive ruling the fact that you know in over watch league uh there's uh some australians now being scouted now being picked up i think there was another one announced this morning i think that a lot of the signs point to the fact that and it's going to be the same as other sports we're a very small country with a small population size and a big geographical base which means that sport and esports is difficult to do in Australia, but we're also very passionate and we have some very good athletes here, whether it's in sport or esports. And I think that uh, as we continue to build the infrastructure around these guys and girls, then we're going to have a much easier job of being able to translate that into you know, great athletes. And then as the great athletes appear and the international success comes, then that's when the infrastructure will continue to level up. So it was a little bit chicken of the egg, but I feel like we have remedied that and we have started to really move in the right direction quickly now. We
0: do love to punch above our weight.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think that goes across everything. And I think that that is the attitude that a lot of the players have as well. And they, they love representing Australia and New Zealand when they go overseas. And, you know, we have a Street Fighter player that went over to the Tokyo game show. His name's uh, ROF Christian. Uh, and he, you know, works full time in Melbourne uh, on, soft- on software. And then he's a Street Fighter player at night. And, you know, he's really dedicated and he's trying He's absolute bum off at the moment to you know have international waves and he went over there and he beat a sponsored fighter in tokyo so you know there there are signs right now that this thing is starting to really get that traction
0: so what do you feel like some of the key roadblocks are in catching up or i guess just in that next phase of evolution for for the industry here in australia
2: so the first one that comes to my mind is you know Making sure that we have professionalized clubs around these players for when they, you know, are taking these steps. And I think that this roadblock has been the most immediate one that I would say 2018 did a fantastic job of kind of uh, helping break through. I think that. Uh, in the past, a lot of the clubs in Australia have been player run, which is fantastic. You know, it does have to start somewhere. And a lot of those guys put a lot of blood, sweat and tears into it. And I'm never going to, you know, take anything away from the success that, you know, teams like legacy chiefs, tainted minds were able to have without support. However, now support and infrastructure is here. We're seeing things like sports psychologists, uh, you know, like high performance coaches and, you know, facilities like the esports high performance center and the hangar for the bombers really come up trumps and, you know, showing that with good infrastructure around players, uh, that it becomes a lot easier to, you know, cultivate talent. So I think that, you know, there is still a ways to go for a lot of the other teams to be able to catch up there. And I think that... That is, to me, what was the immediate roadblock that I saw. And it was very easy to spot because as it starts getting torn down, it it becomes very hard to catch those teams that are doing that. And I think that, you know, high performance coaching and, uh, you know, infrastructure around teams is probably, you know, the most immediate thing that regions like
1: South Korea and China had that, you know, potentially Australia and New Zealand didn't. And that's been a main focus for my involvement with Order is just really giving Jake and Nathan uh, and the rest of the team the support and structure that they need around them to, um, to, you know, really perform well. And we've tried to bring a board together that, you know, has strong governance and good structure and, and, and taps into the experiences of many different industries and entrepreneurs within those industries to bring that level of experience to, you know, the, the young esports industry and, and hope that we can therefore create a better organization by just acting and, and Playing a more professional role within it. I think the only other thing with that is that that we're going to also, you know, every organisation out there is educating the brands, endemic and non-endemic, on on what it means to be a part of an esports organisation or sponsor an esports organisation. And you know, the the everyone from even the AFL um, to you know to individual players within within organisations. There's constant education going on. So I think we'll also start to see more support from brands uh in you know in other industries who want to get involved in esports and want to activate and align themselves with with esport brands and team brands to really try to tap into that, you know, that huge, you know, uh young audience that is really difficult to reach through traditional channels that they're used to through television and radio and so on. It's just that just, just not what people are, who, who are in the eSports industry, they think that's not the channels that they're tuning into. You know, they're on Twitch, they're on YouTube Gaming, they're on Discord, they're on totally different channels to what typical brands are used to trying to reach them on.
0: Now, obviously you guys admire each other. You're working together. You're really proud of what you're building. I'm curious if there are any other people out there around the esports industry, uh, that, you know, that you think are worth name checking as people you really think have been important and you admire the work they've, they've done in this space. Maybe start with you, Jake.
2: Oh, how long have we got? And are we
0: looking domestically <laughs> or are we looking internationally as well? Yeah. Like, uh, uh, let's, let's try to be vaguely domestic so people can maybe think about, you know, other people that, you know, if they're trying to, to get up to speed on who who are people I should be following out there that that you know that have a great brain for this uh, this space.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, I'll kick off with uh, Tim Wendell. Uh, he's a head of esports for the Adelaide Football Club now. Uh, he created Legacy with you know four mates and really has led the charge for trying to bring you know non endemic sponsors as well as you know non endemic companies like the Adelaide Football Club into esports. Uh, Legacy has always been, you know, one of the uh, top teams uh, that I've heard of from players in terms of, you know, looking after their players, making sure that everything is going smoothly behind the scenes, which, you know, anyone that has paid serious attention to at esports would know there have been struggles in the past. So I think that Tim is someone to really be admired in that uh, regard. And I think that uh, he has got a great team around him now and Legacy continues to uh, show success. And I think, Another person that you probably have to shout out is uh, Dave Harris from Guinevere Capital. Uh, Dave came into an ecosystem that had the Chiefs Esports Club win every OPL title ever, and since he joined the Diables, they haven't lost one yet. So uh, results kind of speak for themselves. He has, uh, once again, a really good team of, you know, Rippy and Sharp and a lot of endemic guys around him. He's really stayed true to gaming culture and done a very good job of integrating that. Uh, his business acumen into that team. And I think that, you know, things like the Esports High Performance Centre and the partnership with the SCG uh, are just testament to what Dave has been able to do to level up the local esports system. Now getting involved in boards like the EGAA, Uh, really, you know, are just going to continue to push this thing further forward. So I think that, you know, those are two people off the top of my head that I would say we work closely with every single day that, uh, you know, that they're in it for the same reasons we are, which is the overall success of esports. And,
1: you know, very happy to be in the trenches with people like that. Yeah. I was actually going to say Dave Harris as well, because I think when we say that we've tried to bring a level of professionalism to esports from a, from a business and structure point of view, I think Dave certainly has been pioneering that himself um With what he's managed to do, um, so you know, all, all kudos to him. Um, and you know, in 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 another esports business I'm involved in, I mean, there's some people that have come from other industries that are trying to look at esports a little differently and the opportunities within it. Um, there's a, a guy called John Satterley who uh, has came out of Village Roadshow, and um, I'm working with him at the moment on on trying to build venues for. Uh, for dedicated esport venues for, um, for the community and for the video game community. And I mean, he's certainly, um, had a pioneering, uh, a pioneer in the way that, you know, new opportunities can be born out of the esports industry.
0: Do you think there's a good few years ahead of us where it remains a really sort of positive collegiate type environment? You know, that that there's, I guess, room for everybody to grow before before then maybe one day it eventually gets a bit more cutthroat because, uh, you know, we just get to that point where everybody's vying for for turf?
2: I don't know whether fans are going to allow it, to be honest. I'm a little bit of a optimist in this regard. And, uh, I, I think that the best thing about esports is how honest the fans keep you because they feel like they built this and to a certain extent they are correct. You know, before big organizations were coming into this, you know, fans and communities, especially around fighting games and the like were really driving this scene forward, like without the assistance of other people and don't get me wrong you know the people that we've just listed off are making huge leaps to uh, professionalize this but i think that the fans do feel like they have ownership over a lot of esports and i think that we as owners of organizations really care about our fans i mean we we know without them we're we're pretty stuffed so i think that uh it has got a great feeling around it at the moment is what I will say. I hope it continues. I mean, we are competitive. I'm never going to deny that. We we try and put together the best rosters. We try and attract the best sponsors and we try and run the best business that we possibly can to be the number one esports team in Australia. Uh, that is, you know, the whole mantra behind order. Uh, but at the same time, that certainly doesn't mean that we're looking to step on or over people uh, to really make that happen. We 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 believe that what we've got is the right mixture of the right people and the, the right thing uh, that we are doing right now. So I, I guess, like, other teams are in a similar situation, I'm sure, that if you ask someone like Dave Harris from the Dire or someone like Nick Beaubier from Tainted Mines, that they would think that they're also on the right track and also doing it, you know, these are some, some people that we work with every single day uh, in these areas. So I, I certainly, I'm optimistic that, that that's not going to be the case.
0: I have a question here that actually is essentially written as if you're starting from scratch now, but it's kind of like that's kind of what order <laughs> in some ways is. You know, it's like what would you do to to build something now uh, given all the changes in the industry? But, I mean, that's kind of exactly what you're doing. But, you know, if you, I guess if you're sort of sharing that sort of an ad- advice with other people, uh, you know, what do you think is the right uh, attitude or the right framework to try to start building something from now? Maybe start with you, Adrian. Sure. So that
1: sort of advice is I suppose the same advice that I'd be saying to anyone in in a startup in any industry, which is to engross yourself in the industry, learn as much as you possibly can as quickly as possible, but then surround yourself with people with experience different to yours that you that can help you. Um but also recognise in all of this that every startup always costs more money than you think, takes longer to to get to where you want it to get to. Uh, and ends up being a lot harder than the original plans that you put out there. So go into it with eyes wide open, recognizing that it isn't easy, but it's an exciting industry to be in and with the right people uh, and the right um, the right attitude, you know, it's, it's, it's still a young industry and there's still lots of opportunity in it.
2: Yeah, that's from the business side. I guess from my side, I'll attack it from the eSports side, and that is you, you're not going to be able to do it on your own. Uh uh, I like to think that I've worked in every facet of esports that I've been able to. Every single time there is a new opportunity, I try and get involved in it. So I think that I have a pretty good spread of experience across the board. And I know some really smart people that are in the same situations. And, uh, ultimately, you know, this is now an industry where you need very successful boards that have uh, access to the kind of people that we just don't have at that uh, stage of our, our career and, you know, you, you're going to need, you know, facilities and uh, houses and things like that that, you know, five years ago just wasn't the case. So I think that ask for help early, uh, find people that can mentor you and help you grow uh and then just make sure that you're trying to suck in everything you possibly can at the start because the start is the best bit because you get to make mistakes for not free but for very little impact uh on the overall product and then continue to learn from it and move forward and you know the thing that I was very lucky about when I started uh order with Jared was I had Jared there helping guide me and then we had people like Adrian Ryan, Brody, you know, our whole board that would sit down with me every single week and take me through, you know, what what the next seven days, what the next 14 looks like what 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 our goals are making sure that we're saying yes to the right things and no to the right things and really pushing this thing forward so i would say uh i'll I'll steal one of adrian's sayings here it's probably more important what you say no to at the start uh and i think that you know that that's something that i was able to be mentored through very successfully so that would be my advice to you know someone within esports that wants to get involved in a in a organization to make sure that you do have that right leadership and mentor mentoring group around you
0: now, when we think about how close we are to, you know, I guess everybody's always searching for the the tipping point. You know, when when does esports get better mainstream attention, or you know, all those sorts of questions? <clears throat> uh, do you, uh, Adrian? I might sort of again, you know, being someone who loves to look at the numbers, I'm curious. Do you think is this a linear thing? Is it a you know, are we going to have a hockey stick moment? Uh, you know, how close do you think we are to to that sort of? again, that bigger, wider appreciation that something makes us all feel like we're, we're part of uh, you know, something that's super mainstream?
1: Well, it's like in any um, business, things don't happen overnight, but in the, with the benefit of hindsight to others, it always looks like an overnight success. And I don't think the esports industry is going to be and the organisations within it are going to be any different. Um, there's certainly a lot of momentum at the moment, uh, that's pretty obvious. The, the um, audiences are growing. The forecasts for that continues to be strong. The revenue that's coming into the industry continues to grow and the forecasts for that continue to be strong. Um, but, you know, y- y- every industry doesn't grow at this beautiful, you know, high linear growth forever. There's going to be ups and downs and challenges that will come. Um, so, you know, I'm th- I think... One of the things that we're going to make sure we do from an order point of view is ensure that we um, create an organisation that can weather some of those challenging periods within, within our growth and within the industry's growth. Um, I can't predict when they're going to come, but I know that, it, that they will. And so we just need to make sure we're geared properly for, um, uh, and not, not geared in a financial sense, but just prepared properly for, um, for what, whatever eventuates.
0: I always love the, uh, you know, the old saying, uh, luck is when preparation meets opportunity. So is that is that part of making your own luck from here?
1: Yeah, that's right. That's right. I mean, it's exactly right. Like, you, you know, you obviously have to be lucky in business and in life, um, but, you know, absolutely luck is, luck only comes to those that um, put in the effort, put in the time and and really dedicate themselves to creating their own luck.
0: So to wrap up, um, you know, one big kind of, forward-looking question for you both, which is uh, what excites you about the turning point it, it, that the industry is at right now? What 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 things are you really looking forward to as we go through, I guess, 2019 and 2020?
2: Hmm. I guess from a successful point of view, uh, I think that Australia and New Zealand breaking into the international kind of seen as a serious competitor across multiple titles is kind of what very much excites me at the moment and i think that as we continue to do that as we continue to level up as a region uh then you know we're going to create even more hardcore dedicated fandom than what potentially we have in the past and i think that you know we we're in danger potentially of suffering from the NBL or you know the A League model where you know you follow your local league but you also follow the best international. But I think that right now there are teams that are starting to bridge that gap and become you know not powerhouses right now but we're on the radar of international. I think that's a great first step.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm sort of looking forward to just seeing e- esports become the mainstream passion that it's that 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 video games is. You know, I mean, video games is a mainstream passion. Australia is up there with, um, AFL, um, you know, theme parks and, and just, you know, mainstays of our culture. And esports is starting to get into the, into the same sort of league as, as, as some of those other passions. And I think with the support of the right, um, industry brands behind the, the industry and the organizations, um, that'll accelerate and, you know, we'll look back in years, and it, this, this will, you know, people will move from. I, I sometimes say, you know, esports is the biggest sport that no one's ever heard of. But I think we'll look back in years and say that's that that's just not the case. And there's, you know, it, it is a mainstream passion. It is a mainstream sport, and, um, you know, it's it's everywhere you look. <laughs>
0: esports moment is produced by me Seamus Byrne you can find me most easily via twitter I am at Seamus S-E-A-M-U-S and you can find this and other shows at the website biteside.com